0: This is Royal Oaks. Hi, I'm Connor Oaks. And this is Too Many Lawyers. So what is the show about? We talk about the top legal stories of the week. Uh, too Many Lawyers uh, suggests there are too damn many lawyers on the planet. <laughs> Most people can agree on that because
1: everybody's running into lawyers they hate, right Conn? Absolutely. And the answer to the problem of there being too many lawyers is two more of them talking to you. That's
0: right. And we are legal analysts, a boomer libertarian. That's me. Connor is a millennial progressive trying to uh, discuss these controversial issues uh, without getting into a food fight. And there are a bunch of controversial issues this week because the U.S. Supreme Court has once again spoken on abortion. We're going to talk about the big Texas decision. We're going to talk about the Jussie Smollett verdict And uh, also, we are going to get into the issue of the Elizabeth Holmes trial up in San Jose, California. But, uh, oh, and also America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict. At the end of the episode, as always, Connor will be presented with some facts from a real live case. And he'll be asked to guess the outcome. What was the verdict? Uh, Just to give you a little tease here, this one um, today, it has to do with the case of the devious disco dancer. The case of the devious disco dancer. You, you're interested already. I in am. So before we get to our top story about the Texas Supreme Court decision out of SCOTUS, uh, a couple of points that uh, I wanted to mention. We've discussed on the podcast, Connor the issue of whether uh, judges are truly objective or whether they're kind it's of It's
1: come up once or twice, a yeah. yeah,
0: couple of times. I wanted to uh, get into a real-world example of a okay. recent case so we can talk about this, because some folks say that judges are just you know, political hacks and you know, there's no real judicial integrity, and other people also say, no, no, Chief Justice John Roberts famously said a few years ago there are no such thing as an Obama judge or a Bush judge, just hard-working federal judges. So let's go to the California lawsuit over a large Capacity ammunition magazines. You remember Ooh, that big dispute? Yeah. yeah, big, big hot topic down in San Diego. Um, a fella, he wanted to be able to have a magazine for his uh, semi automatic uh, rifle uh, that uh, held a lot of cartridges, and so it wound up in litigation. So here's what happened, Connor. Recently, the Ninth Circuit had an en banc vote, meaning the entire Ninth Circuit, or at least 11 of the 20-plus judges, they were chosen at random, plus the uh, the chief judge of the Ninth Circuit, to vote on this issue. Now, why did they get involved? Well, because one side lost in front of a three-judge panel, uh, and so when the loser says to the court in general, hey, I'd like an en banc re-look, second look at this, the court decides they vote yes or no on whether to have a relook. And here the Ninth Circuit said, yeah, we'll we'll give it a full look with the 11 judges after the three judges voted. Now, the first vote was cast by the trial court judge. Right. And that trial court judge ruled against the restriction on ammunition. So he said guys should be able to have as basically as many cartridges in the machine guns as they want. So that's the trial court judge. Uh, now, So now let's talk about the judicial issue, Connor. The trial court judge was appointed by a Republican president. Okay. And he voted for the gun folks. Sure. Guys that like unfettered But that could be rights. a coincidence. That's could, one judge. Could be. That's just one judge. Shall yeah. we go up to the Ninth Circuit Three judge panel? I guess. Would that be okay? Well, at the, at the Ninth Circuit Three judge panel level, Connor, it was a two to one vote in two favor okay. of the gun folks. Okay. They affirmed the trial court judge. Okay. Oh, and let's take a look at the, let's look at the paperwork here. <laughs> paperwork. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> t- the two judges who voted for the gun guys yeah. were appointed by Republican presidents. Uh, okay. And the one judge who voted against the gun guy who wanted to restrict the ammunition. Yeah. Appointed by a Democrat president. Well, I think that could still be a coincidence. We're only talking three judges. Yeah. Now, yeah the yeah. trial court judge and the and the three. So that's four judges. Four total. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. mean, it's not it's that unlikely. Yeah. Four, yeah. Shall we go to the On banc decision, Connor? Why not? Seven to four. Oh, seven my. to four. Oh, let's let's look at the paper. Oh, my goodness. According to the Wikipedia paper here, I have. All seven of the judges who voted against the gun rights yeah. were appointed by Democrat presidents. Huh. All seven of them. Now let's look at the four judges who voted for the gun rights who, and you know, lost. They're in the minority. Doggone it if they weren't all appointed by Republicans. All four of them. Man, what are the odds? So what? that's the kind of the issue. Uh, should you react to that by saying, man, what are the odds? Or should you yawn and say, well, I knew that was coming. Yeah. yeah did we know it in advance? And if so... What's the point of, a, of a, an in, a so-called independent judiciary if every single
1: judge votes just the way his president, who appointed him, would want him to vote? Yeah, it's definitely a, a problem. I mean, it's it's sort of the the evergreen problem of the American judiciary, and and it's not limited to America. There are other other uh, countries that go through this exact same thing. The majority of them, or all of them, they you have a, a branch of government that you. Would like to be somehow apolitical, somehow. To call balls and strikes and not uh, you know, manifest their, their personal political opinions and, and uh, not enact the will of the people who appoint them. But that's just the inevitable outcome of having judicial appointments come from elected officials. And why, for- though? If it's lifetime, why would they feel
0: moored to the person who appointed them? A few Supreme Court justices famously have turned their back on True. their presidents, like True. Earl
1: Warren, like David Souter. Souter, yeah, absolutely great examples. But it, it, it's not, I think... I don't think that they're moored to the people that uh, uh, bring them in. Instead, it's that the people who appoint them pick people they know are ideologically pretty pure. And the exceptions are, you know, a few far between and also very notable like Warren and Souter. These are guys who were appointed by conservatives who migrated over towards the liberal side. I mean... I think it's inevitable because humans are political creatures. We have political opinions. We all have, you know, our own perspectives. If you became a... Criminal defendants
0: shouldn't have their fate decided through a political lens, though. The judges should just be totally down the middle. Well, what does down the middle mean? That's the problem. It means making the decision you know is right, not the one you know would be favored by the guy who appointed you. Uh,
1: Correct, but they probably, given that they were appointed by that guy, they probably agree with that guy's opinions as to what is right. So it ends up being... Every single time, decade after decade. It ends up being that mostly Obama judges think like Obama. And that's not shocking. And mostly Trump judges think like Trump, and that's not shocking. It's it's an unfortunate reality, and I think the real danger is not having people with political opinions as judges, because that's just reality, that's how human brains work, we get it. The danger, in my mind, is refusing to acknowledge it. It's the way that we pretend that judges just call balls and strikes. The way that we think that there is a, a sort of ethereal, a So you super think Chief human... Justice John Roberts is dangerous? Ooh. You can
0: expect a call from the Secret Service. <laughs> so... All right. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this one, like with all the topics that we discuss on Too Many Lawyers. Almost all. Uh, Second preliminary item before we get to abortion, uh, the Olympics. Uh, President Biden has announced a diplomatic boycott of the Chinese Olympics uh, in China, Winter Olympics. Lamest boycott ever. Okay, at least Jimmy Carter wouldn't let. The the athletes go. I mean, I'm sure the chai comms are are saying, oh, no, not that. You mean mid-level bureaucratic? Nobody's won't be coming to to
1: uh, cheer on the luge people. Oh, no, it's ruined. Yeah. who? They don't care. Uh, They're they're going to pretend that they care. You're right that they don't care. But uh, because the the, diplomatic the idea of a diplomatic boycott obviously has no impact. The point of it is that the Biden administration is saying, hey, China, you're doing bad stuff on the world stage, they're saying it. Now, how much power does that have? How much power would it have if, if Joe Biden came out and gave a speech where he said, hey, uh, the international community has decided that you're committing uh, ethnic cleansing against Uyghurs. It's bad and it has to stop. Hey, you are pumping an unbelievable, incredible, uh, sh- uh, sh- shocking, astonishing amounts of carbon and other uh, greenhouse gases and pollutants into the air and you're killing people and you're gonna doom the planet and it's gotta stop. Are those valuable things to do and say? Yeah, I think they should. he should do it a lot more often. This is just an extension of that. Is it just hijacking the Olympics it's to just, do that? It just yes, looks certainly. so lame,
0: though. I mean, a boycott, if they did a real boycott, as Carter did, that really just hurts America and our athletes. It lets all the, the bad guys win all the medals and, right. and brag about it. Instead, why not... Do what Biden says he's going to do to Russia. Uh-huh. Why not, uh, you know, hit him in the pocketbook? Uh, be willing to stand up to China, even if it means giving up some market share. I mean, in, in the Russian situation, basically what, what Biden is doing is he's saying all of these oligarchs, they're going to be losing their money, billions in frozen assets around the world. Yeah. That is serious Absolutely. stuff. It's almost like
1: a Republican came up with the idea. I agree that they should uh, take... Um, uh, drastic economic uh, steps as well uh, to sanction people, as well as making public statements. Although um, there is uh, uh, there are a lot of unintended consequences with economic sanctions. People have this rosy picture, this view that like, well, we'll just you know, slap more sanctions on North Korea. We'll just slap more sanctions on Russia or China or Cuba uh, or wherever else we want to, you know, inflict uh, pa- pain. Um, we'll just slap more sanctions on like the people who are running Palestine who we believe um, fund terrorism. And we'll be able to really target the bad guys with that. No, you won't. Mostly you'll stop random innocent civilians from getting food and health care in those countries. You're starving North Korean peasants, basically. You're starving people who are already Certainly suffering. Certainly the leader
0: has not been starving. I, right. I, I have visual photographic evidence of that.
1: Right. And it, the, the idea of, OK, we'll, we'll have these targeted sanctions that just hit Russian oligarchs bank accounts. All right. If you can do that, which largely Throughout American history, we have not been able to do. Sure, well done, great job, do that. But mostly, you're making it hard for you know Palestinians to get medicine and food. And so, sanctions are war. Like, it, it, if you're putting pressure on a country with economic sanctions, unless. You're these, you know, the headline ones, the ones that people say like, oh, North Korean dictator loves scotch and Oreos or whatever. So we're going to ban the import of scotch and Oreos to North Korea. OK, that's a great headline, but it's not going to do anything. wonder if he you puts can. them both in a smoothie. <laughs> Oh, God. And you can't really do that anyway. So what we're really talking about, what actually uh, economic sanctions are, is economic warfare. And that leads to people starving and not getting medicine that they need and dying. It's funny you
0: should mention that Will and Ariel Durant, uh, the famous historians who wrote the 15-volume History of the World, uh, published a very uh, slender volume to sort of synopsize at a 50,000-foot level all of their findings and one of the said war bad well one of the things they said it was almost that pithy they said war is a nation's way of eating Mm. and when you think about it you know maybe eating is a a metaphor for just control and, and so on but uh, as you say, sanctions can mean starvation uh-huh. and, and, you know, eating, that's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fundamental to life. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, uh, we are going to get into the question of what the Supreme Court Texas abortion ruling means for the future of Roe versus Wade. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to
1: rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform it is that you use and make sure that you are subscribed uh, and uh, signed up to get these pods shoved to your phone through the airway waves every week when they drop on Wednesdays. We really appreciate it. It would, you know, boost the numbers, which makes us feel good. Uh, and it makes sure that you get the show promptly because, you know, you're not going to know what's going on with the Theranos trial or SCOTUS or whatever else unless you hit the join or subscribe button. We'll be right back.
0: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal And I'm Connor Rooks. So the Supreme Court weighed in this week, Con, on the Texas abortion uh, law. Uh, Texas's folks know passed a law letting anybody sue abortion providers or folks who assisted abortion providers like Uber drivers, but not the women. You can't you can't sue the patients. Um, The abortion providers uh, didn't take it lying down. They fought back. They sued Texas seeking a declaration from the court that this law is unconstitutional because, oh, yeah, it violates Roe versus Wade. But the lower court said, well, that suit fails because it's premature. You have to wait till somebody sues a provider of an abortion. You argue uh, in that suit. The provider does. It's unconstitutional. And so, uh, you know, that that's what the law provided. Uh, And Supreme Court agreed to let some people Sue, that was their ruling a couple of days ago. Uh, A few people uh, may be sued, uh, some state officials, but the main thrust of the opinion by the Supreme Court is they refuse to block the
1: law pending a final outcome of the court battles, which will take years. So we have this opportunity, yet another opportunity by SCOTUS, to say, hey, Texas, you're clearly drafting legislation that is intended, that's the goal, is intended, To evade judicial review, right? This law says we can't. You're weaponizing
0: lawsuits, letting people sue, but you're not authorizing the governor to enforce the law. And the Supreme Court came to the conclusion that, well, if you're not seeking an injunction against the governor, you can't seek an injunction against the whole world, as the Supreme Court majority put it. But as a result there's this chilling effect and people aren't having abortions because they don't want to get sued and paid pay ten thousand
1: dollars exactly and the the lawsuit looks like a victory for the pro-choice folks because this because the the, the outcome says specifically well abortion providers can, file suit and seek relief. They are the injured parties here, the ones who might be sued if this case, uh, if this law stands. And therefore they can, and people are like, oh, that looks like this, the Supreme Court is leaving a way open for this law to be challenged. Supreme Court could have simply kicked the law. They could have just said, it's unconstitutional. Right. You can't try to evade SCOTUS and other courts' jurisdictional review by saying, oh, well, this person's empowered to sue, and that doesn't infringe on this person's right to get an abortion. It's just targeting doctors and Uber drivers and everybody else who aids them, and therefore the people who are affected in this situation can't sue, blah, blah, blah. It's obviously I mean, on its face. The people who wrote the law said we wrote this law in this way to evade review. I mean, they'll they, they admit it uh, over drinks if you talk to them. They have spent decades trying to find ways to overturn Roe v. Wade and give judges an excuse to, you know, to 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 dance around and throw their hands up and say, "I'm so sorry, I can't touch this because of the crafty, uh, you know, schemy way that the law is written." And so, Supreme Court, the Supreme Court had an opportunity yet again to fix this, to kill this law. And they didn't do it. And Sotomayor made a good uh, uh, point about this. Um, And, and, you know, the the Chief Justice Roberts um, also made a good point about this in writing the minority opinion, um, where he led a four- Judge minority. He and the three liberals uh, got together and signed on to this uh, minority opinion where they said um, they're they're dodging uh, Supreme Court review. This is a really problem, a really big problem. And John Roberts even said, look, this threatens the legitimacy of the court. Ding, ding, ding. I would argue that this massively threatens the legitimacy of the court, which is based on public perception that the court will you know, step in to solve problems and has the ultimate authority on things like what is constitutional. How should laws work generally? I mean, that's the like the, the, the layman's view of the Supreme Court is that they're the ultimate law people. And if the law is weird and somebody tries to pull a a fast one on the law, the Supreme Court can step in and say, this is wrong. This is bad. And John Roberts is correct that this threatens the legitimacy of that institution. And taking it
0: back to our first topic today, I think it threatens the legitimacy and the confidence in the judiciary if people get the idea that these... Folks are wearing black robes, but it doesn't matter that they all wear the same color. They're either going to vote red or blue based on their presidential appointee.
1: Uh, That, I think, is a kind of legitimacy that I appreciate being threatened. That, I don't like cloaking their their politics in black robes and pretending that there's nothing underneath. I think we should recognize that there's something underneath. I'm not arguing in favor of pretending. Let me shift gears and ask uh, your thoughts
0: on a different aspect of this Texas abortion law and the Supreme Court decision. I think the law turns people into thugs. Mm. I think it weaponizes lawsuits. And this yeah. is apart from the question of whether, you know, it's constitutional. Uh, under Roe, yeah. you know, it, it should be stayed and so on. Let's talk about what's wrong with it from a process standpoint. Uh, it, it invites disturbed attorneys and clients to become thugs. If you are a serial killer sitting in prison in Saskatchewan, Canada, you are entitled to file a lawsuit because some lady in Houston, Texas, got an abortion and she had an Uber driver and the maniac up in Saskatchewan may sue the Uber driver. Now that sounds a little far-fetched, but it's a symbol having gone through Four decades of, of being a litigator, yeah. and you've been doing it for several years, I think it's a symbol of the fact that some people, when given some power, mm-hmm. if they're kind of disturbed, yeah. will abuse it. Yeah. I mean, the idea of, of, of law, especially litigation, as a, as a wonderful manifestation or element of the social contract is a great idea the social contract is I'm going to give up a little freedom to the government and the government in return will protect me and be equitable and and just mm-hmm. and will be secure and and that's what has has been so powerful in terms of a revolutionary change in in, in government of the last hundred years the the legal system is a critical element of that social contract when you have incivility or dishonesty or hyper aggressive actions by lawyers or clients we are backsliding mm-hmm. we are no better than thugs we are we are violating the social contract and so i i mean years ago california had this idiotic law that said that uh, somebody could sue if uh, there was some violation of the law even if he was totally uninjured mm. and so for example y- a guy who's never seen a wheelchair and doesn't need one would drive up and down highway five in california measuring the bathroom doors and if he found somebody that was an inch too narrow he'd file a lawsuit and until the law was changed he had a right to do that so lawsuits were weaponized and we ended up you know uh, increasing the number of frivolous lawsuits so i think that that's that's a Uh, An aspect of the Texas law that people really aren't talking about uh, that much. Maybe it's because, you know, you've got political issues about whether we have too many frivolous lawsuits.
1: There's actually that's a really good point to bring up, like the difference between those sorts of laws. uh, The, you know, enforceability of the Americans with Disabilities Act, basically, um, and outsourcing that versus uh, outsourcing um, uh, abortion Anti-abortion legislation. The 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 California law that you bring up is a really good example of um, I think uh, uh, probably what is a bad idea to try to outsource. A government bureaucracy to private individuals, it's kind of like privatizing the post office. Their, their thought uh, thought, uh, thought process was, well, uh, these uh, lawyers and individuals with too much time on their hands um, should be the ones bearing the cost of trying to enforce um, the Americans with Disabilities Act because the government, it's expensive for them to have to do it. Um, so that was kind of the motivation and the thought process, and I think it's a bad motivation and a bad thought process. I don't think the idea of privatizing this sort of enforcement is a good idea. But you're right that these are uh, these are two different examples of how. Um, the, the idea of outsourcing the power of the government, handing the power of the government off to private individuals to run around and, um, and, and enforce their view of the law and then see if their view of the law shakes out in courtrooms all over America. Um, it's a bad. It's a bad idea. You should not use the, the the legal system that way to try to be have them be law enforcement. The the legal system should be there uh, as a as a, a place to resolve legitimate disputes where people don't really know what the law is and try to figure out through civil lawsuits. Uh, oh, dang, we have a disagreement here. We can't come to a settlement, so we've actually got to go to trial. Um, the idea of, of, of using it. Um, basically, to replace cops is is not a great system. When we come back, did you see the Jesse Smollett
0: conviction coming around the bend? We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. and I'm Conrad. So the Jesse Smollett conviction happened this past week. Um, I'll give you my take on it, Connor, and ask if you were uh, kind of surprised by this. I, I think the, the key to the case is that Jesse Smollett gambled and lost. He he rolled the dice. They came up snake eyes when he decided to testify because he didn't do well. The judge had to chide him for being kind of snarky and evasive, and he wouldn't answer the, the questions. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't explain kind of the two Achilles heels to the case. Number one, what about that $3,500 check you wrote uh-huh. to the guys? Uh, oh, uh, that was for, you know, train. Training services, so I'd be ripped for my music video. Seemed a little fishy. And then the second issue, he couldn't explain the surveillance camera. It was like the brothers went on a shopping spree. They're at CVS. I'm going to have a MAGA hat. Uh, I'm going to have a rope. Uh, I want a ski mask. Uh, it, you know, it was just yeah. so, obvious. so obvious. And, and at 2 a.m., 30 degrees below. Oh, well, I'm in the mood for a Subway sandwich. You know, nobody <laughs> lo- makes a hot meatball sandwich like Subway in Chicago at 2 a.m. Give me a break. Yeah. Nothing, and there were no injuries, doctors, exam- him and there was virtually nothing except a tiny little scratch. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised uh, by a fairly quick guilty verdict. Uh, was there anything sh-
1: odd or shocking to you about it? No. I mean, frankly, it's possible that the jury kind of understood that a guilty verdict on these these charges, which I believe were labeled disorderly conduct. We're not going to be the end of the world for Jesse. It's a a
0: weird deal in in Illinois and some other states. The disorderly conduct heading kind of encompasses things like fake nine one one calls and lies to the cops about crimes. And it sounds disorderly conduct. Kind of sounds like loitering, right? Yeah, uh, or, or you know, littering yeah. or jaywalking. But it's a little different.
1: And in, I think that uh, a lot of people had this view of like, well, maybe there's going to be maybe there's going to be hesitation on the part of the jury to like throw this guy behind bars and, and lock him up and ruin his whole life uh, as a result of this. But I don't think that the prosecutors overcharged in this case. And the expectation, as I understand it, is that Jussie's probably. Uh, gonna escape without time behind bars. So yeah, th- in, in the end, it if that is you know is on the table and the jury knows that, even if it's kind of in the back of their mind or sort of subtext, then it seems pretty easy, a pretty slam dunk to, right. to do this. Because I think the only reason that you would ever get a, a, an innocent verdict in this situation, given the facts as presented, uh, is. The, the jury just kind of has sympathy for a guy who made a really dumb decision and, and right. wanted to be famous and, and 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 they decide, well, let's not uh, destroy him for his choice. But if he's not going to get destroyed by having this on his record, then... Pretty slammed up,
0: Yeah. And, and he probably isn't going to serve any time in jail. As you say, uh, the fact that he doesn't have a criminal history and the fact that nobody was hurt. So in some of these cases, people are yeah, injured or killed or whatever. And there's risk of that. Of course. Uh, yeah. And here, OK, it's $130,000 in overtime and so on. And they're still going to sue him for that. And maybe he'll have to pay it. But he's probably got millions piled up. And he will I'm sure he'll uh, end up uh, writing a book or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but generally, so he, he wouldn't do any time. But the interesting thing is, there was such a backlash against the perception that he was just lying, lying, lying that a lot of people in the commentary, and I was, you know, helping various outlets report on this a couple of days ago, a lot of people are saying, well, he lied, you know, shouldn't he go to jail for perjury? You know, aren't they going to go after him for that? And It was weird to me that that this reaction popped up that really hasn't popped up in a lot of other high-profile cases. I mean, when you're on trial, you give your side of the story, and maybe it's perceived by most folks as a, a big fat lie, but in general... You know, the jury just makes up their mind. And if they vote for you, then, you know, they bought what you said. If they vote against you, then they probably thought you lied. But just because somebody gets convicted of a crime doesn't mean that, oh, boy, the prosecutor is now going to charge him with perjury because of stuff on the stand. So it's almost like people were
1: really angry at him uh,
0: and felt that he he deserves something more. Maybe because the idea has sunk in that he's probably not going to spend any time behind bars. Yeah,
1: perjury is... Rarely used in these sorts of circumstances, I think people think that the the basically the the punishment for the crime itself is the, is sufficient punishment. Perjury is reserved for si- situations basically uh, where you you couldn't be convicted of the the underlying crime for some reason, right? Lying uh, and the cover up is often how people uh, get got get caught. Uh, looking at you, uh, Martha Stewart. Um, could have just closed your mouth about this whole insider trading thing. But instead, uh, she lied, and they got her for that. It's always the cover-up, right? If you can get convicted for the actual underlying crime, it's rare that you get, uh, you know, prosecuted on top of that uh, for the perjury part, because that's hard to to prove. Speaking of controversial,
0: powerful, uh, possibly criminal women, uh, you mentioned Martha Stewart. Let's talk Elizabeth Holmes as our final big topic. Did Elizabeth Holmes pull a Smollett? By testifying. Mm, So here's the background. In case you haven't been following the Elizabeth Holmes uh, matter very carefully, she was a sophomore at Stanford uh, years ago. She dropped out to uh, start a a startup in Silicon Valley. It was called Theranos. And the idea was, you give me a uh, drop of blood from a prick of your finger, and I'll tell you if you've got any of 200 conditions, cancer,
1: HIV, whatever, heart disease. And apparently it was all a big fat lie. It's very valuable to get uh, test results from a tiny amount of blood, because drawing blood from people is difficult and expensive, and you know... it's slow, and you store the blood, and it's it's tough. It, it, being able to do that from just a drop would be revolutionary. It would change the entire medical industry for diagnostic testing. And that's why Henry Kissinger
0: and George Schultz get on the board of directors. Right. The, they raise, uh, she raises a billion dollars, and then it's a house of cards. It falls apart. She would send the, the blood out to, to standard tests and report back that, oh, our fancy new machines really worked. So um, suits and SEC matters, and now it's unusual for a, a leader
1: of a failed startup to be charged with wire fraud and uh but she has been so she and her co-founder and this all started from uh, some whistleblowers who from the inside of the company said this is a scam it doesn't right. really work the tech is not there they're just sort of keeping the investors uh going along and fe- feeding them lies and elizabeth had to deal with the fact that she was you know uh on trial for wire fraud because she was falsifying documents and making false statements uh, about the, the 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 technology it wasn't just the normal puffery right. of a, of a of a startup that's know, the key founder. the distinction between norm and pu- normal puffery uh
0: I used to know a guy named Norman, Norman Buffer, so yeah, that's sure. why I made that mistake big big lie right there. Yeah. Um so here that's the background so here's what's next. Yeah. Um, the closing arguments are coming up uh, on December 16. The deliberations will begin December 17. Uh th- Elizabeth Holmes chose to testify, and the question is: Did she lose her gamble? Uh, your impression, Connor, is that maybe she acknowledged that it was kind of her policy to to bend the truth.
1: Do you think that could be pretty critical in terms of the jury's decision? It could be, but I think it's a it's a risky move that that uh, Holmes and her lawyers felt that she probably had to make. That the as we talked about previously on on the pod. Having your defendant testify in a criminal case, meaning you waive your Fifth Amendment right to avoid self-incrimination, you don't ever have to testify in your own on your own in your own defense in a criminal case. That's what the Fifth Amendment says. I have the right to remain silent. And that extends not just when you're being arrested and they're shouting at you, but also to being interrogated and then also later on the stand in your own defense. And in in fact, as we saw in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, uh, the the prosecutor got in hot water for even talking about the fact that Kyle had refused to discuss uh, the matter. Um, you don't have to speak in your own defense. And that's a very powerful uh, element of the of the Fifth Amendment. Here, she chose to. And as in a lot of cases, uh, the defense lawyers and the defendant only choose to do that and go that risky way if they think they're losing. And, you know, Elizabeth Holmes, obviously egomaniac probably narcissist, uh, thinks that she can wrap the world around her finger and do whatever she wants. She did and made billions of dollars with all these, you know, former world leaders and headshot, uh, hot, uh, hot shots uh, on her board of directors. She had them eating out of the palm of her hand while she spun these they lies. probably had headshots because they're all pretty famous. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they, uh, you know, she probably thinks she could do it again with this juror, with this panel of 12 jurors, these 12 rubes. She's been fooling rubes her whole life. But it is a risky move. And it, you know, it opens her up to attack. You know what I thought was kind of weird, just
0: from an inside baseball trial uh, perspective. The the evidence is in the books uh, already, and so now the judge sets the closings for almost a week after the closing, uh, after the uh, ending of the evidence, so very the final argument. Very weird. Judges hate it. When jurors have to add to the number of days that are taken away from their lives, they like to move things quickly. So a big delay. Is, you know, it's nice from the lawyer's perspective to have at least you know a day or two to prepare your final arguments. Sometimes you're you're forced to uh, to do it immediately or almost immediately upon the close of the evidence. But that was kind of weird, and I think you know it could be bad for the prosecution because by the time the deliberation starts on December seventeenth, I think the jury will have maybe forgotten about a lot of the testimony. I mean, the closing will be fresh in their mind from the right. day before but uh, a week gap is is a little bit odd yeah it is so a uh, time for america's favorite uh, game show connor are you up for this always so it's called guess the verdict i give connor uh, the facts of a real live case that he hasn't heard about that would be cheating mm-hmm. and he gets to guess the outcome who wins who loses so uh this, this is uh, the case of the the devious disco dancer are you ready
1: yeah, I feel I'm a little removed from disco fever uh, chronologically, well, I just so I feel like word, I might.
0: I just added the word disco for fun. It's mainly just a nightclub. Uh, okay,
1: okay. Yeah, well, a, you a know dance me, club. I'm always into club, Absolutely. so I know all about that.
0: Well, let's go clubbing in Delaware. Carol okay. Walton uh, tried to sneak out of a nightclub through the restroom window to avoid paying the $3.50 cover charge. So this sounds like a reasonably They priced.
1: charge money to leave?
0: Uh, no, well, she somehow, somehow didn't pay the cover charge. Got Maybe it. she walked in and said, oh, I just have to use, you know, the, use the restroom. But first she danced eight dances now. I don't know the... Who knows? I don't know those facts. 3 dollars always asking for cents. more facts. Okay, okay. Anyway, problem is poor Kara. She's going through the restroom window and doggone if she doesn't fall and knock out her two front teeth. Oh! So she sues the club. So you, Connor, get to decide who hmm. wins in this interesting... She's clearly, I mean, uh, okay, she wasn't uh, killing people, but nope. she was definitely stealing $3.50 from yeah. this p- poor nightclub. Yeah. So uh, who do you think
1: was the victor in this titanic legal battle? Titanic legal battle. You know, I think Karen gets her, her teeth fixed. I think people really uh, are sympathetic to, uh, to to injured plaintiffs, and uh, having, like, a nightclub as the defendant is not too... too uh, uh, not too appealing to people, they they probably will think, look, they probably say... Probably themselves. owned by the mob. Yeah, they're probably owned by the mo- the <laughs> mafia. They probably have good insurance or mafia money one way or another. Let's fix this lady's teeth. The
0: Come irony on. is Cara is married to a mobster, so that's a... Wow, it? it's a wash. I'm just kidding. If Cara, if you're out there, you're not married to a mobster. Uh, that we know <laughs> of. He divorced you years ago. Well, <sighs> so you're right, Connor. Yes! You did it. The jury awarded her $12,000 plus dental expenses. Love it. Yeah, so... That's ridiculous, though. It's idiotic. Uh, of course. I mean, she is clumsy and stupid and dishonest, and she
1: gets money
0: for well, that. Why I'm, is it
1: their fault if, that she busted her teeth if out? If I were on the jury, I would force her to pay the three fifty out of that twelve thousand dollars. Easy, yeah. obvious. Okay, that would be a real compromise verdict. Yeah. Next week, Connor
0: is our one hundredth. No way. Too many lawyers oh, episode. One hundred. We are going to have. The most amazing surprises for the 100th episode. Confetti uh, you're falling not, you're not from the believe ceiling. It. Um, Connor, I'm going to be busy this next week. Could you come up with some surprises? Because <laughs> nothing's coming to my mind. But I'm sure right. there'll be some legal stories we can talk about. So we'll see you again on number 100, Too Many Lawyers, next week. Have a great one.